In a world where good news is hard to find, WAVA and One Heart DC present Good News for the City. We're here to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what his body, the church, is doing to spread this good news in the Washington, D.C. metro area, including Northern Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. As Jesus said in John 17, Father, that they may be one just as we are one. Welcome to Good News for the City. It's the gospel, the gospel that makes a way. Greetings, folks, and welcome to Good News for the City, the radio broadcast ministry partnership between WAVA Radio and One Heart DC, right here on Life Changing Talk Radio, 105.1 FM, WAVA. My name is Dennis Williams. I'm director of ministry for WAVA Radio, and I want to welcome you to today's broadcast. Well, folks, this is not news to you. As you all know, we are more than a year into this pandemic. Now, the broader distribution of the vaccine is bringing hope to to many, many people, but we want to bring some attention to some things that have been going on. Anti-Asian crime has risen nationwide during COVID. And even before COVID, our Asian American friends and neighbors have endured mistreatment and injustice at the hands of so many. And to be honest, I'm appalled. Today's guest is here to to help us understand this better, to help me understand this better, to help us examine our own hearts. And we want to ask, you know, how can we better listen to our Asian American friends and and advocate for them? And of course, hey, to help us, to get us started, um, my my good friend, my buddy, my co-host of Good News for the City, Pastor Brian Bales, Senior Pastor of Christian Fellowship Church, is going to get us going. Hey, man, good to see you, brother. God bless you, man. Hey, thank you for having me here to co-host with you, you know, from right here in Ashburn, where I am and where you are in a different part of the country. And I'm excited to have Pastor John Shaw with us today talking about what we're going to talk about. Now, Dennis, I don't know if this is the way it is with you, but I don't often run home uh, to my wife. And so you have to listen to the show that we recorded today because sometimes it seems a little, you know, self-promoting, if that makes sense. And let's just be oh, honest. Makes perfect sense. All of sure. us who are, who are pastors, our wives listen to us a lot anyway. So one more time, <laughs> having listened to us. Um, but back in August of 2020, we had uh, Pastor John on. He, he did just a wonderful job walking yes. through specifically yes. some issues of racism that, frankly, I was ignorant in all the technical senses of, just lack knowledge. Yes. And I told my wife, you have to listen to this show. Uh, it, it matters. It will make a difference. And she did. And she enjoyed it deeply. I know our listeners enjoyed it deeply. And I'm just grateful to have you, Pastor John, back in here to talk about um, what we're going to talk about today. Now, for those who may not have heard you before, you know, I, let me tell them a little bit about you, if I can. Pastor John Shaw is serving currently as the lead pastor of the English-speaking congregation of Open Door Presbyterian Church in Herndon, Virginia. He grew up as a native Virginian, graduated from the University of Virginia, and also from Regent College in Vancouver, British Columbia. He quickly came back to Virginia to the two loves of his life, his home church, and then his soon-to-be wife, Leanne. Uh, They're now enjoying their 22nd year of marriage and their 22nd year of ministry at Open Door. Wow, very cool. Pretty cool, right? They're having the time of their lives. They have three teenage kids uh, taking care of them and and just leading them and growing with them and his hobbies. Mm -hmm. When he has time, right, is taking long yeah. drives, yard work, and going out on walks, and then, of course, the date night they didn't have with his wife. So if you weren't here and didn't hear this before, I want you to listen today, listen intently, 
I want you to re-listen. I can say in advance of even before hearing what Pastor John's going to say, because it's going to challenge us. And also Mm. you can go back to our website, goodnewsforthecity.com. Look up episode 115. We've had that many at least shows uh, and listen to what we talked about then. I think it will also add some insight and some depth to our conversation around Asian American and racism and tension behind that. Mm-hmm. So, Pastor John, thanks for us coming to talk. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. Yeah. So, um, if you've been paying attention at all and haven't had your head buried in the sand, uh, there's a there's some discussion uh, mm-hmm. publicly in yes. in the news and in the media that frankly for you isn't new but for some mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. this is this is a new endeavor they're just having their eyes enlightened to the history of asian mm-hmm. american and the racism that happens towards those of asian uh, descent uh, that are here in america and certainly in other places in the world as well could you help us grasp a little bit different by helping us understand how far back this goes because it's clearly not something that's just been happening during the pandemic sure um by the way, if, if any of your listeners talk to their any of their Asian American friends, none of them will say this is all new. Uh, mm-hmm. th- this just just suddenly happened. No, they would yes. say this yes. has constantly been going on. Um, so to go back to the history of Asian American racism, uh, to be honest, it probably started in the 1850s. As soon as the first wave of Chinese Americans, uh, the immigrants first arrived in, into our country. I'm sure within a few days, there was racism, um, discrimination against uh, these Chinese Americans. But at a more uh, larger societal level, it started uh, in the late uh, 19th century. Uh, the U.S. passed a law called the Chinese Exclusion Act. And it was the first law in the U.S. that barred immigration uh, based solely on race. So it started there in the 1900s. And I, I have uh, Filipino pastor friends who, who shared this. Uh, the Philippines, they were a colony of the U.S. And they were deemed and categorized as uh, people who had unclean and uncivilized bodies that mm. carried tropical diseases. And that just shaped the, the rules, the laws, the perception of the Filipino people. Um, so there was racism there. And probably the most well-known and, and the, the law that is in our history books, 1942, uh, President Roosevelt uh, gave the executive order 9066 uh, to incarcerate people uh, who, are suspicious, who are deemed suspicious as enemies and to put them in internment camps. And it should have been applied to German, Italian-born immigrants, but it was mainly only applied to Japanese immigrants. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, PBS did a, a great uh, documentary on Asian Americans a few months ago. So I would recommend uh, listeners to, to learn more through the history of Asian American racism. And it unfolds some amazing stories. I've seen part of that. And as being married to a high school history teacher, I'm always getting some deeper lessons into some of the ugliness and some of the beauty of our past. Sure. But just recently, my wife was talking about you know stories she was reading of of soldiers who were fighting on the the side of the United States of America in World War II, whose parents were interned. Why they are fighting? You know. Yes. Some of yep. some of those things that you know when we think about them outside of that context, we go, how in the world could that have ever happened? But there was there was a bias, there was a belief, there was a racist thought that got in at that moment. Now we 
we start at 1850, if we say, and we fast forward, you know, 170 years or so from there, um, it's still there. And, you know, as right. someone that someone may look at you, Pastor John, and say, hey, you lead a, a congregation, you lead a church of people, you're in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., and the part of the suburbs that you're in seem to be sort of the nice part of suburbs, if we want to use terms like that, then maybe right. some other suburbs. Certainly, you know, that doesn't happen in the suburbs. You've not felt that. But I know that's not true. What are some ways that you personally right. have, have, have felt it around your church, uh, towards maybe your congregation, towards you an individual, or what you see there in Herndon and in some of the suburbs of D.C.? Right. Well, um, yeah, thank you for uh, asking that question. Um, I, I could share it more uh, in two levels. One is explicit, mm-hmm. and uh, second is more implicit. Explicitly, I mean, I've experienced everything ranging from name calling, you know, squinty eyes, comments like go back to your own country. Um, That's still ever since I was growing up uh, just in elementary school and on and on. Um, Implicitly, uh, just always uh, the the sense of feeling overlooked, um, stereotyped. Um, there's kind of a cultural typecast for all Asians. Um, and, um, I I don't know if if you've ever, uh, if you remember and ever followed the story of Jeremy Lin, uh, Mm, the Chinese American NBA, NBA player. And if you ever watch his documentary or see him on interviews, there's just this constant theme of being overlooked, um, that here he was, um, and, and the, question that everyone kept asking was why why wasn't he recruited into a team fresh out of college and he was just always overlooked and I remember watching during Linsanity you know when he was on the Knicks I, I, I was just glued to the TV and this was one of the in fact it was the only time my wife was sitting next to me watching an entire NBA game and I'm mm-hmm. like why are you here and she said, I resonate so much with his story. Um, sure. He's overlooked. And, um, and my wife, she said, you don't understand for me how often I feel like I have no voice as a Asian American woman. Um, I'm constantly overlooked. My wife, by the way, she's a family practice doctor, graduated with honors from med school. And here she is saying she feels overlooked. Yeah. Um, I, I think there are two things that are constantly going on when it comes to racism and discrimination against Asian Americans. One, there's something called the perpetual foreigner syndrome. And what that means is, is that the people of Asian descent are constantly, consistently perceived as foreigners, even when their generations of family members were born in the U.S. So to this day, I, you know, people ask me, where are you from? And, um, you know, I, 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 I'm so used to the question, uh, you know, it, it doesn't bother me anymore. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think anything of it. I just use it as a teaching opportunity. And I just say I'm from uh, South Korea. Um, but I could understand why for other people, depending on the context, depending on who's asking and, and why and how they're asking, it could leave you feeling constantly like the outsider. Um, yeah. You're, you're, constantly being asked, you know, where are you from? And as opposed to in contrast, you know, if, if uh, you're white, no one ever asks a second generation or third generation Irish or Scottish person, where are you from? 
Um, They never are asked that um, because to them, they're included. uh, They're insiders. Um, So one is the perpetual foreigner syndrome. The second is the model minority myth, um, which is to say that Asian Americans, they're the model minority. Um, They play by the rules and um, look at what they can achieve. You know, if if you're just... um, compliant to just how everything's going and and you don't cause any problems and you just play by the rules um then then you'll have social economic success but you still do face racism um and for a lot of people they think well if you're the model minority um we could just just dismiss the other things that go on uh ignore it let's just you're you're you know, it, it justifies the fact that you're, you're discriminating against because at least you gain all these other things. Um, mm-hmm. You have all this other access and privileges. Yeah. Now let's talk about church for a moment. I, I don't know that I've ever engaged someone who is a part of a church uh, who loves Jesus and follows Jesus, who has said, yeah, I absolutely know we are intentionally or explicitly setting up velvet ropes setting up by, you know, uh, racist uh, statements or making people feel excluded. In fact, uh, almost everyone I know would say, no, 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 this is not how, how it is. In fact, we even got a sign on the door, right? That says, uh-huh. come in however you are. It doesn't matter your background. But we know certainly that this also happens in a church. So how does it, what does it look like? And how does that sort of bias and, and that sort of express itself through a church? Sure. Um, and Maybe it's helpful to go back to what I, how I presented before, explicit mm-hmm. and implicit. Yes. I, I don't think in any church that I know of and, and, and churches I know here in the D.C. metro area, you do not have explicit racism or discrimination. Right. Um, implicitly, there may be um, some churches that, and not intentionally, but I do think uh, the way a minority or an Asian American uh, visitor, guest, or even staff may feel that they are excluded. Um, I, I've had several friends, colleagues, pastor friends who are Asian American who did go to mega churches and were invited by mega churches um, to serve on staff, and they unfortunately lasted only two two years there, and they left and came back to uh, ethnic churches. And when mm. I talked to them, they, they just said, they even though uh, the church said that they wanted to be more, more multi-ethnic, even though they were on staff technically, they felt um, still very much overlooked and excluded um, that the things they wanted to uh, bring to the table, just coming from an Asian American culture or value system was, was really not um, included. It, it mm. really wasn't there on the table. Um, and I think that's where there is some bias. And um, to, to say that you want to have a multi-ethnic church, um, it, it's kind of, it's really difficult. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there are some churches who do it well, uh, but I think there are some churches who I think maybe in their mindset, it's just as long as we have a staff member or on our Web page, it, it has just people who are of different ethnicity. That's mm-hmm. enough. But, you know, there's so much more um, yeah. for me. If I were to join a multi-ethnic church, 
you know, one of the things uh, on staff I'd, I'd ask is for us to slow down to five miles per hour, just because we can't rush relationships, especially if they're very culturally diverse. Mm -hmm. um, I talk about how to include more marginalized ethnic members, how to hear their stories, how to connect the gospel with their cultural and ethnic narratives, how to create a safe space for people for whom English is not their first language. Like it, and believe me, that would be a huge challenge for any church. Mm -hmm. um, and I just don't know if multi-ethnic churches or churches that want to go in that direction know exactly how hard it is and how much effort it takes. Yeah. Would it be fair to, to ask it this way, that um, there's something different between desiring to be multi-ethnic and multicultural, that many times multi-ethnic is welcome as long as you stay to the monocultural view of what is yeah. the predominant church view in the United States of America, yeah. which often is Caucasian. In that yeah. Way. Yes. Uh, um, and uh, I don't know if you read uh, Christianity Today's uh, articles. Uh, they had an issue come out a few months ago about multi-ethnicity. And in it, what they mentioned was that a good number of staff and members who joined multi-ethnic churches, there was a mass exodus. Um, and they left the multi-ethnic church and are returning back to their ethnic churches. Yeah. And a large part of it, they said, was because um, they said that we, you know, we're we're kind of being integrated into a, a culture that is 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 a it's a whole different culture where it, it doesn't consider their ethnic culture. Um, a guy named Mitch Kim, he was a pastor who was interviewed in one of the articles. He said multi-ethnic churches are coming out. And, and basically, we feel like, uh, in the name of diversity, we feel like bouquets, flower mm -hmm. bouquets. And basically, you, you, for the sake of assortment, you cut the flowers at the root so that these flowers no longer have their roots. They look very good and uh, diverse, but it's only a matter of a few weeks before the flowers wilt. Yeah. Um, but true multi-ethnicity, you should include the roots. Um, right. You should appreciate who they are, their past, and what they offer, you know, to the kingdom of God. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that's what we see in the book of Revelations. It's people yeah. of all races, not just one dominant race. Now, for those who might be listening, they're like, well, I'm not part of a church leadership team. I, I don't feel like I can affect that as much, whatever that leadership structure looks like. But as an individual, I can make a difference oh. right where I'm placed. What would you tell them for, uh, about how to be more vocal about this idea of implicit bias or explicit bias, specifically towards Asian Americans, and to be, you know, that type of person that uh, actually looks like the Good Samaritan who reached out across an ethnic yes. line in the story that Jesus told? Yeah, um, I would. Uh, I mean, so many things. Uh, one is just having a heart of hospitality, mm -hmm. a heart of, and the word hospitality means basic, in essence, love of a stranger. And, and to look at someone who's different from you, Asian American in this case, and to have a love for them where you're willing to listen and to learn um, and listen and, and basically, you know, allowing them to be able to speak 
Um, Asian Americans, for those of you who have Asian American friends, we tend to be a lot more reserved, mm-hmm. um, a lot more quiet, and and just culturally, we're we're raised to not uh, to not raise a stink. Like don't don't uh, be. Um, don't uh, come across as too too strong. Just speak only if if you're addressed, um, mm-hmm. and that's that's. And so most Asians are perceived as kind of stoic or or quiet, reserved again. And and so for you at a in a church, and you have an Asian American guest or friend or neighbor, just welcome them and just ask a lot of questions. And what will happen is is people start opening up more and more. Now, here's the thing. Um, it really depends on what ethnic group they are of Asian descent. Um, and I don't know, Brian, if you know this, but depending on whether they're Southeast Asian, like Cambodian, Vietnamese, mm-hmm. or they're East Asian, like Korean, uh, of which I'm, I'm of Korean descent, Chinese, Japanese, our stories are totally different. Um, some of us are here in the U.S. as refugees. We fled our own countries and came here to the U.S. Some of us, our parents left for the sake of better opportunity here in the U.S. And um, those are two very different yeah. um, trajectories of, of, of story and the gospel implication is very different for those sets of different uh, narratives in our lives. And, and so for those of the people, like as you, when you were just ta- uh, talking, Pastor John, I had this moment of just uh, what I would say um, that I really stepped in it one time as, as a leader working with someone from an Asian culture. And I left a meeting thinking everything was fine. Because, you know, as someone with my particular background, you would be in that meeting. And if it wasn't fine, you would tell me. And I had complete ignorance of their culture, complete ignorance, you know, of their background. I thought, well, because they didn't say thing, everything was good. And then later on, I discovered, no, that meeting was horrible. It went really, really bad, you know, and there was some implicit bias on my part to say, well, it was incumbent upon them. They should have said something. Right. But it was equally incumbent upon me that I should know something about who they are and their right. culture and engage differently. And so I had to begin going down this uh, this sort of road of learning, and I still have a ton to learn. So maybe in the last minute or so, could you maybe give some examples for people that you've piqued their interest? Because obviously we can't in any way, shape or form cover this subject uh, even a, a little bit well about some resources that you would recommend. Sure. Um, yeah, so some resources. Um I would recommend against again that PBS special. Uh, they did that documentary on Asian Americans. There's also um, something that uh, was created just especially in light of it, during uh, Black Lives Matter movement and also with um, this whole Asian American uh, racism um, um, response. There's a group called the Asian American Christian Collaborative, and uh, their website is just that Asian American Christian Collaborative.com. And my good friend, um, Ray Chang, who uh, is on faculty at Wheaton College, uh, brought together this whole coalition of pastors, professors, uh, civil leaders. And um, he does a great job responding to so many of these issues, but from the perspective of the church 
and mm-hmm. of Christians. And there's a series, if you go to that web page, there's a series called Kairos series. Mm-hmm. Kairos is Greek for uh, the appointed time, basically God's appointed time uh, for a time like this. And if you look at that series, it, it, Ray and, and the team, they do such a great job of interviewing Indian churches, mm-hmm. Korean churches, Chinese Taiwanese churches and Filipino churches and pastors yeah. Yeah. and how to engage in racial injustice. And mm-hmm. if you click on to each one of them, you'll, you'll learn so much more yeah. of, of uh, what, how to engage uh, from those perspectives. Well, Pastor John, thanks again. The time goes so fast. Dennis, we need to have Pastor John again back. Hey, man, we we'll do it. Look at those resources that you just mentioned. Absolutely. Folks, you heard it from Pastor John, AsianAmericanChristianCollaborative.com. That's AsianAmericanChristianCollaborative.com. Or, hey, you can go to GoodNewsForTheCity.com. Listen to this one more time. I would urge you to do that because it's rich in in help for each and all of us um, and sensitive to the needs of those out there. Um, GoodNewsForTheCity.com. Or if you need to get in touch with me, you can certainly do that. And I can put you in touch with others, 703-807-2266. Hey, folks, thank you for joining us. Pastor John, God bless you, man. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you again next week. And remember, it's the gospel that makes a way. It's the gospel, the gospel that makes a way. Thank you for joining us and listening to Good News for the City, a gospel partnership between WAVA and One Heart DC. This is a partnership movement which celebrates and seeks to accelerate the move of the gospel into the Washington, D.C. metro area. It is our prayer that through this radio broadcast ministry of good news for the city, we will see transformed lives and communities and more and more people responding to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to help bring unity to Bible-believing people and churches in order to multiply our impact in our city, and we would love for you to join us. You can learn more at goodnewsforthecity.com. That's goodnewsforthecity.com. Or you can go to wava.com keyword good news. Or you can call us at 703-807-2266. 703-807-2266. And remember, it's the gospel that makes a way.